Welcome to a Revival House Sermon, where we champion you to become the unveiling of Jesus to this world. And so I want to do a little bit of review, and then go in. We finished chapter one, and we've just been going through as it, verse by verse. And last week, I, we, we read about Paul in chapter 1 begins, and he just, right out the gate, starts telling of all of the amazing things that he's seen that the Lord is doing and that he's been given to us. We've talked about the treasures of the blood of Jesus and how every spiritual blessing's been given to us. And then he, and he's just so excited by this. And then he, last week we talked about how he said, okay, now he has to pause and pray that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to get all that he's talking about. And then he talked about our imaginations, that our imagination would be illuminated so that we would imagine. You know, and a lot of times it's, it's, you know, the eyes of your heart, but the word also is imagination, that you would imagine and dream of all that God could do. And then, which moved us into the faith to experience his power. And he used four different Greek words to explain power. You know, dunamos and kratos and, and other ones that I can't remember because they're so hard to pronounce. <laughs> They're so hard to pronounce, I have to have them right in front of me, or I'm not going to be able to say them, because, you know, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> but he talked about this in power, that we would be the expression of this power to the world. And then, that, that we were raised with him, with the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave, lives in you every single day of your life. And that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father with authority in his head over the church. And, and then you would go into chapter 2, which for him it wouldn't have been chapter 2. It had just been continuing his letter, right? As that, so he has this, when he wrote it, he had no, there was no periods. There was, it was one giant sentence from 3 to uh, 15, and he just spills all these things. And then he goes, oh, i got to pray for you to get this. And this is all of this power. And Jesus is exalted in this way. And then he takes a moment after praying and he, and he, and he changes it a little bit. And I want to read it. I'm going to read it straight through. I'll hit some of the highlights. And then really I want to kind of zoom out on it. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. And I'm just going to read to verse, all the way through verse 10. And it says, and his fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption was in us from birth and was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts of our minds 
dictated living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God still loved us with the great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. But we, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we could do could ever earn the salvation for what, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that would fulfill the destiny he has given of us, for we are joined to Christ, Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. I'll stop there. There's a lot there in that. There's all sorts of concepts and things that he talks about. But I kind of want to just walk through just a little bit of some of the high points. I, I see some patterns and some themes carrying over and then being revealed now in chapter 2. But as we go through it, he talks about, it's essentially he's going, he goes, guys, you imagine all of this stuff that happened? He, he's like, we're seated in the heavenly realms and all of the uh, treasures of blood, his blood have been given to us. And man, I pray that you would have a spirit of revelation so that you would imagine these things and they access this power with faith and all this stuff. And then it's as if he pauses and goes, man, I need to contrast this a little bit. And he goes, guys, do you remember back in the day? Remember back in the day when you guys were dead like corpses? I'm glad he said all of the nice things before he said that because they may have, you know, closed the letter if that was his opening statement. But he goes, remember when you were dead like corpses? You were lost in your sins and you just did whatever your mind said and you just followed your emotions and you just, you were like a reed blown in the wind, you know, but he's just going, remember those days? But then God, in that, and he's just like taking a moment and it's, Ephesians is almost like a, a poetic book itself because he, he drops down into this little segment and goes, man, do you remember that terrible time in your life? <laughs> But God, even when you were in that place, saved you and then brought you into the heavenly realm and seated you at the same level as Jesus. He's saying he did not wait. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for you to change. He said, I'm going to take them in the mess that they're in and I'm going to bring them to the highest place they could be in the universe seated right next to my son. And then I'm going to teach him how to live like that. I'm going to put them there first, and then I'm going to teach him how to live like they're there. And, he's, and he, he takes that segment, he goes, remember all that terrible stuff? He says, but then, but God still loved us with his great love. He's so rich in compassion. And then he talks about when you're dead and doomed. And then Paul makes this statement 
He speaks of one of the greatest mysteries in the whole New Testament. In verse 6, you know, he said, He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and ascended with him into the glorious perfection and the authority of heaven and the realm. For we are now co-seated with Christ. Other translations will say, you know, we are seated in Christ. But if you're in Jesus, that means you're also with him, so you're co-seated, right? But think about this. Paul is talking about a reality that nobody had even thought of. You read the Old Testament, and that's the thought of being seated with or in the glorious, perfect God of the universe. No, they were just trying to cover their sins with the blood of, you know, of animals. And they were trying to be, uh, be the, his good servants and, and, and live righteously. But then Paul comes along, and he's seated in the heavenly realm, he's saying. He's going, guys, it's not about... It's not about the temple on earth. It's not about the things that you're doing. God destroyed all of that because he's creating you to be a temple and he's going to bring you into heaven and you're co-seated in Jesus right now. That is the great mystery of the gospel. That is such a thought far beyond anything that had ever been spoken before this. And I talked about earlier that Paul is the only of the writers in the New Testament that used the word like heavenly realm and those things. He, he, the others, the, the disciples hadn't even got it. But Paul, when he was writing, he's going, guys, no, you got to get farther out there. You guys got to see that you are actually seated in Christ in heaven right now. That's your position is there. And that right there is still enough to totally transform your life. Throughout the ages. And then he goes on. He says, we're co-seated with Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus. So first he says, you're seated in heavenly realms. You're co-seated with Christ. And then he says, guess what? The plan for all of the ages that's going to come after me is that you are going to display the grace and the kindness of God that's going to be showered upon you. Think about this. For everybody here that's, you know, we may think about, oh, you know, God wants to be nice to people and whatever. But Paul is saying right here that God's going to give grace to you and kindness to you in your own life. And it's going to be visible to the saved and unsaved alike in this world. And they're going to see it working in you and through you so much so that they will say, that's God. That God's plan is that he wants to bless you with so much grace and so much kindness that people would see it. So for us, we're going, oh, you know, we're like the whole Christian perspective, I'm going to begrudgingly bear my cross and make it through life, isn't what he's saying here. He's saying, no, God wants to give you grace. We're going to talk about what that grace looks like in your life. But grace, the empowering thing to do, which 
you weren't previously able to do. You might even call it divine ability. And kindness, so his loving kindness and his thoughts and feelings towards you, he's going to express them and pour them out on you. He doesn't want you to just suffer along and make it to heaven. He actually wants to bestow upon you these gifts so much so that the whole world would go, something is different on and through that person. That's crazy. So you're not trying to earn anything from God, right? Because he just said his plan that he's already showered out on you. He's not waiting to do it. He's already done it. It's already been done. And he's going to continue to do it. So you're not trying to convince God to, you know, do this for you. You're not trying to earn it, not trying to be good enough for it. Because he's already decided to do it. And that's going to be his testament to, this, to, to the world is how much he loves us. That's crazy. And, it, uh, and it, he talks about that nothing we could ever do could earn the salvation, right? It's the free gift. The grace, the salvation is the free gift of God so that no one could ever boast, right? And then the last high point I want to talk about in verse 10, it says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that would fulfill the destiny he has given us. For we were joined to Jesus, the United, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and good works we would do for, to fulfill it. So that word, we have become his poetry, a lot of times is translated as uh, we are his workmanship or we're his uh, uh, craftsmanship or something like that. Um, but the actual Greek word is poema, and that's where we get our word poetry. And it means the poetic expression of, of God. So take that for a moment and realize that God's not just saying, hey, you know, the perspective is, oh, we're, you know, we try to be really good servants for God. We try to be really obedient. You know, we're trying to trudge along. But in reality, God is saying, no, I didn't just make you so that, you know, you'd be these little peasants. But in reality, he says, you are poetry that I wrote that you live out. Your poetry. You're God's haiku. <laughs> right? You are poetry that God literally plans out. Oh, man. And, you know, you think about poetry. If poetry goes, this is, he's saying, who am I? And I'm going to write that out in that person's life. They're going to actually live out the poetry of who I am to this world. They are a poetic expression. That means your life and your words and your thoughts and your doings are actually a poetic expression of God in you. It's creative. It's descriptive. It's, it's different. It, it is beautiful. That's what he's saying about you. He says you are a poetry. You've been recreated or, or a new creation, but you've been recreated. Where did it go? I lost it. Oh, we've been recreated people to fulfill the destiny he's given each one of us that he planned beforehand good works for you to do and that your destiny would be fulfilling that. Now, there's a lot we could go into that, and I, and I kind of look at these high points, and I wanted to go over these high points, but I wanted to zoom out a little bit As I was reading this, this, these 10 verses, this segment right here, we see in chapter 1, the theme 
that we have is Paul is talking about the riches. He's, he, he just goes, you've been given everything in the heavenly realm. You've given the treasure of his blood, and you've been given these riches. And then he starts talking about, so you have the riches and your position and where you're seated. And he says, and then you go into the power that I want you to experience. And so the theme is, the theme really is the riches and the position and the seating of where we're at into power. And then it all leads into grace in this one. Do you see how many times he mentioned grace throughout this? You know, it was the grace of God that brought us to salvation. It is the grace that he wants to pour out on us throughout the coming ages. It was this grace, right? It talks about grace, grace. Paul doesn't mention grace in the first chapter, but he mentions power over and over and over. But then in chapter 2, he says, now I want you to see grace. Like Ephesians is poetry in itself because it's a journey that Paul is trying to bring us into. And he starts talking about grace because I believe he's preparing us later for the grace gifts. You know, later in a few chapters here, we usually call them the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in reality, they're grace gifts. Like the word for them are grace gifts. And so Paul starts talking about grace, and this theme happens of grace, and he's preparing us to even see grace gifts in our life. And so I have to talk about grace a little bit before I can really actually get to our, 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 our condition has to meet our position. But he, Paul starts talking about God, it was God's grace that brought you to salvation. And he says, in the coming ages, he's going to lavish grace upon you that you would be the expression to the world. So grace, most of you will probably know a better understanding of this. But it was fascinating. I, I, uh, I heard that there was a study done and that they asked Christians in America to define and, or what their understanding of grace was. And 95% of them, we might as well say all of them, <laughs> but they, the study showed that 95% of them didn't actually know what grace was, and they didn't actually have the true, a, a, a good definition of it. And I find that interesting because God is saying, I'm going to give you grace that you're going to express and you're going to be that expression to the world throughout all the ages, and yet we can't even tell what it is. And, and so we talk about grace, and a lot of times the most, you'll generally hear, oh, it's, it's undeserved favor from God. Grace is undeserved favor. While that's not wrong, it's also not 100% the full picture, right? Grace is, yes, it's undeserved favor. It's favor for him, but grace is, is the ability to do which you could not previously do in your own strength. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, right? This is where Paul is saying, man, I had this thorn in my side and all this stuff like that, and I asked God to take this from me, and he said, my grace is enough for you because in your weakness, my power is expressed. And so, the, and when Paul said weakness, 
that word weakness means human inability. So you, do you get what he's saying here? He's saying, Paul is saying, I am humanly unable to do something. But God is saying, I'm going to step in with my grace, which is inhuman or divine ability to do it. He's not just saying, I, I like you, I got favor for you. But he's actually saying, I'm going to give you grace that your human inability could not do. So if you can do it, you don't need grace for it. But he's saying, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you power. Actually, grace is power is an expression of power. That I'm going to give you power of divine ability to do something you cannot previously do. So he's saying you were saved by grace, right? You couldn't save yourself. So he gave you divine ability to not save yourself, but to actually save you before you were even able to accept that, that he created that power inside of you to even seek him. But then he's saying, I'm going to give you grace gifts, and I'm going to express my grace through you. So I'm going to show divine ability throughout your lives. And, and it has to be seen in Acts 11, they send Barnabas to the church in Antioch because the gospel has gone out to the people and they said, go check it out. And he says, I witnessed and saw, that means he can see, he says, I witnessed and saw with my eyes the grace working through them. So that means grace is not an abstract thought that we think about, but it is actually, you can see it, it can be perceived, it can be seen and expressed, and it is noticed. And so Barnabas is going, holy cow, I see grace working through and in them. And we know that you access grace by faith. Isn't it funny that in chapter 1, remember we talked about Paul said you get imagination and then you get hope and faith comes out of that and he says you access power by faith. That's funny. You also, he also is the same person that said you by faith. By faith, you access grace. By faith, you were saved, and it was grace that brought you to salvation. So then he switches over, and he goes, grace is another expression of power. I think Paul is going, I don't have enough words to talk about God's power here, because there's the power, the dunamis power that actually is potential power that's in the room that you can access by faith. And then there's the kratos power that is the breakthrough governmental authority of a, a warrior that wins the battle power. And he says, now then there's going to be grace that's working upon you, but this is a gift that God gives. So there's power that you can access when it's in the room, but then there's a grace, a power that's given to you as a gift, that it is part of who you are. So that's what grace is. So you go, okay, so God actually wants to show divine ability in your life expressed. That's cool. Great. I already knew that, Anthony. I'm glad you did. But you see here, Paul in the beginning is talking about our position, and then here he says, you're co-seated with Christ. But then in the coming ages, you're going to be expression of his grace. And he talks about all the things that are going to happen, and then he continues through this book. Essentially, is he saying, like I talked about, you're seated in the heavenly places with Christ, co-seated with him. So that's where you are. 
So that's your position. Now, your condition needs to meet it. Your, your condition actually has to meet your position. You know, in the cool, whatever, it could be superhero movies, hero movies, whatever, there's this guy and they're called to this great job that they're supposed to do, but they're kind of irresponsible in their life, you know, and they need some character arc, and that's good storytelling and all that stuff, right? And, and usually there's somebody that calls them and says, dude, you're, they say, you're, you know, whatever word they use, you're better than this or something like that. You know, you're better than this or you can do this because of what, whatever, because you've been given this ability. But in every single thing, the, the person is calling the main character to rise up to their position. Because they're saying you are, it, have the ability and the position where you're at right now. But it's time that your condition starts to act like where you're seated. It's kind of like if I were to dumb it down, it'd be like you're seated like a king, so start acting like a king. Right? You know, it's like, it's like the young kid that becomes a king, and he, he doesn't want to be a king, but he has to step into his role. His condition, his attitude, his emotions, his decisions, his lifestyle now has to meet the position that he holds. So what Paul is saying, I first, he doesn't say, guys, change the way you act. He's saying, let me tell you where you're seated first so that you can act like that. So you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. That means you can't go any higher. You don't have any more authority. You're as high as it gets. You can't earn any of it, and you can't get any better. So that's where you're seated. But now, remember how you guys used to live in sin and were dictated by your lifestyle? Well, now it's time that your position meets your condition, and your condition on this earth changes, and you start to live in the empowering grace that God wants to lavish upon you and that you express to this world that God is real. So he first has to tell you where you're seated. You see how imagination led to hope and hope led to faith and then faith accessed power. It's in that same way that we come into grace. Lastly, kind of in a roundabout way, how I want to tie this all together. In the very last, it says, we become his poetry, a recreated people. That he had, it was our destiny to be joined with Jesus. And before we were go- born, God planned in advance our destiny and good works we would do to fulfill it. Before you were born, God planned your destiny And in your destiny, he laid out the good works that you would do that would be fulfilling it. So when you do good works, you're actually fulfilling your destiny. But here's something. You know, a lot of people try to earn favor or acceptance or forgiveness through their actions. You know, we try to earn it. You're like, oh, you know, maybe we try not to be a bad person so that we're good enough to make it into heaven or whatever, you know. Well, we already learned that You can't make it into heaven. You can't get there by your works. It's a free gift. But also, your good actions can't get you at a better standing with him. So think about this. If God planned out your destiny 
and he planned out the good stuff that you were going to do, and he gives you the grace to accomplish those good things, then that means you can't use any of your good works to get a better position with God because he's the one who planned them out and gave you the power to do them. Think about it. We're sitting here going, man, if I do this thing or if I give this money or if I put all my time in, God will love me more and we'll have a better relationship and all this stuff. No, you can't because he's the one who planned it. You can't try to use that as ammunition with God. What he's trying to get you to understand is your good works, your good positioning, all those things can't make God love you anymore because he already loves you to the fullest degree. He's already planned to give you grace gifts. He's already planned to show his kindness. He's already planned to do those things because he already loves you fully. So your good works aren't going to get you at a better standing because he already planned the good works for you. So you can't use that as ammunition. We can't, a lot of people try to gain favor with God or they try to get glory by good works. But if God planned out those good works and gave you the power to do them, then you can't take reward for any of them. But what you can do is understand that those good works that what you do is fulfilling the destiny and the plan that God had for you. So, sorry, when you get an idea for a good work, you're like, oh, I'd really like to go help this person or something. Sorry, that wasn't an original thought. God already planned for you to do it. You see what I'm saying? You're like, hey, God, I thought of this really cool thing today, and I did it. So I'm like, am I one of your top ones today? Am I like on the high on the totem pole? He's like, no, because I'm the one who thought of it first. And you just happened to catch the wave. <laughs> So it doesn't help you. But look at this. He says that I planned your destiny out before you were born and the good works that you're going to do. If, if you can use, let's, let me say it this way. You know how I said, if you can do it in your own strength and it doesn't take grace, then the good works that God has planned for your life are all going to take grace. And that means every single good work you're going to do is going to have to use grace that is beyond your ability. <laughs> Can I repeat that? <laughs> if, if you planned all of your good works out, and it's in your destiny, then all of them, you're going to have to use grace to complete them. And it's all going to be beyond your own ability. So think about this. If you're out there doing good works that you can just do out of your own strength, it's probably not your destiny. It's probably not your destiny. Whoa. And think about this. When you stand before Jesus, you know, and he says good and faithful servant, all this stuff like that, he's not going to judge you by your sin because those are as far as the east is from the west. What is he going to judge you by? Your reward. He's going to judge you by your destiny and if you fulfilled it. So if all your life 
you're doing everything out of your own strength, you're never fulfilling your destiny. And when we stand before God, he's going to go, I really appreciate all the great effort, but that's not what I wrote down for you. So, think about this. That means, if we follow that thought out, that means every part of your destiny is impossible. Every good work, everything, every part in your life that God has already planned out, he went, no, I don't want to do them out of their own strength because then they could say they did it. But if I make it impossible, then they'll have to use grace. And then they'll know it's me. So I'm going to plan their whole destiny impossible. So you can't do it without him. (laughs) So there goes earning a good place with God. There goes even earning a place in heaven of just doing good things. Guys, God planned our destiny out. And you know what? If he planned it out for your life, then that means he already allocated the funds to do it. Right? It's kind of like if I say I'm going to build this building, this giant barn, all this stuff, going to have all these cool things. If I'm going to get it done, I'm going to have to allocate enough funds to get it done, to accomplish it. So when God wrote your destiny and he made it impossible and he planned out all the things you're going to do, He said, I'll allocate all of this grace and I'll give it to them. I'll put it in their bank account right now before you were born. And so when you come to the next, you're like, man, it just seems like everything's so hard. That's because everything's impossible. Why is everything so hard? Because it's supposed to be impossible. And you're supposed to go, I can't do this. Oh, look, I have to step into the heavenly realm and get my blessings that he's already lavished upon me. I have to get my treasures that the blood of Jesus has already given. I have to go get the power grace to accomplish the impossible thing that is set before me so that I can show the world that God exists. That is what he's saying here. So your position gives you authority. Power gives you ability. Ability is given to change the condition and move you into a new reality. It's a journey. And I got to repeat that again too. So Paul, so Paul is saying, you're seated with Christ. Your position gives you your authority. And your power gives you the ability. And ability is given to change the condition of your life and move you into a new reality. So that's why Paul is saying, this is where you're seated. This is where you're seated. This is where you're seated. Because that's your authority. That's your standing. That's your seal. That's who you are. 
But you've got to have the power and the grace and the ability to live out who you are. You've got to change. You've got to die to this stuff and come alive to this stuff. You've got to step into who you are and you need power to do that. You need power to change. You need power to live. You need power to express who God is. You need power for all these things. You have a destiny and that destiny includes God every part of the way. And so you have to. You step in and you go, this is who I am. And if who I am is a child of God, an heir to the throne, an inheritance to him, then I have the ability to access this power of my father. And when I get that power, I now have the ability to accomplish what my authority has given me and to change who I am and the way I live. That is why your position has to meet your condition. So now you see why you're seated with Christ. You're going to be the the expression of the immeasurable grace of God and your poetry. You might be going, oh, poetry, that's nice. But now that I just told you that your whole life is impossible, your whole destiny is impossible, boy, that sounds like a story. That sounds like poetry. That sounds like God wrote a book of some crazy stuff. And the amazing thing is that he's ready to give it. You know, I talked about, you know, last week we were saying, oh man, I want more, I want more, and I want more. I want more grace. I want to access this. I want, I want my life to change and to line up with the word. I want my position to change because I know that I'm seated and I'm in this place, but sometimes I don't, maybe I'm seated there, but I don't walk like I'm seated there. My walk has to match my position. And And so, therefore, that's why I go, man, this, this, this grace. You know, and, I, and grace comes from God. You can find the grace and the ability in the word. But then you can, all, you can receive this grace through the word, through relationship. But then you can also receive grace through other people. And I know we could talk about and study grace forever, but, you know, Paul even says, man, I long that I would come to you and lay my hands on you and impart grace gifts to you. That we can actually receive, maybe there's something in your life you're like, I can't do that right now. You know, you can have an impartation. Somebody could actually impart that to you, or God can just speak it to you and therefore, he's imparted it to you. That some of our giftings and the grace that God's poured out on us, he's given us from birth, and we grow into them. And others, we, we, sometimes it feels like more like we stumble upon them. But whatever it is, however it comes, 
this inexpressible, undescribable, uncontainable grace, power, and ability. It's part of your destiny. And so we've got to stop trying to figure out how we're going to make things work and how we're going to do this and do that. And, and maybe if I did this thing, stop with your plans. I mean, it's good to plan for things, but in your planning, you better plan for the impossible. In your planning, you better plan that God has to step in. In your planning, you've got you've to you've allocate some funds. You've got to get some grace. So I see this theme. And we'll see that through the rest of Ephesians. Paul even talks about grace even more. But Ephesians is just a beautiful, it's, all, it's a story. It's a journey. It's a high mountain that we're climbing up. It's not just a letter to some church. He's saying this is for every person, every beloved believer. And that's why when we read this, we're going, oh my gosh, there it is again. There's my destiny. There's my position. There's what he's calling me to. There's the power. Oh, my Lord. Paul saw it happen. Paul is prophetically speaking out. He has seen into the future and goes, oh, yeah, all you guys, you're going to live in power and you're going to live in grace through every period of history. So for any person that thinks it stopped, it didn't. Because it happens through every period of history. I don't really know how to follow that. (laughs) Other than maybe you're looking for something to change in your life. Maybe you're needing, maybe you're trying to figure out how to walk it out. And I'm just sitting here going to tell you that you're probably going to need grace. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. So if you feel like you're not good enough, you're probably listening to a lie. And if you've been trying to earn it, you've just been following a lie. Because in reality, when we come to a good father, he gives good gifts. And this supernatural ability is going to be expressed in all of us. Whoa. Not the pastors, not the missionaries, everyone.